So this morning we've been thinking so far about what's changed in our lives and obviously the answer is loads. At the moment we're all feeling really uncertain. You might be feeling overwhelmed by the situation that you're facing as an individual or as a family and we certainly are feeling overwhelmed as a church together. At these times we often see the worst of people but we also see the best and that's to be celebrated. We see people who want to go and check on their neighbours. We see people shopping for others. We see our frontline teams in the NHS and teachers working when other of us are in our homes. And we also see people who are um, able to research things like scientists. In this time as a church we really want to help but sometimes and I know we can find ourselves wondering but what can I do? What difference can I really make? You might be thinking like me I'm not a nurse or a doctor or a scientist or a teacher. You might feel helpless as you find yourself potentially in isolation for months on end. It can be so frustrating when we're not able to do what we normally do. For me, I certainly know these feelings. I'm not very technically able and I know that I've had to place a burden on others to get this video to you today. I also feel frustrated that my mum doesn't live closer. I can't just do her shopping for her. Today's passage from Mark's Gospel is a really timely one. We meet a woman who did what she could and these five words are going to be the basis today for our learning. She did what she could. So now let's hear the passage read. If you've got a Bible, open it up at Mark chapter 14. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to, to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured the perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I truly tell you, wherever the gospel, gospel is preached throughout the world, she has done. What she has done will also be told in memory of her. The account we've just had read from Mark's Gospel Jesus anointed at Bethany is found in all four Gospels. 
at different times and potentially different homes. But um, we know that this story did happen. John tells us it was Mary who came during the dinner in Jesus' honour and that she poured the expensive perfume on him. We know that those present rebuked her. They told her off. They, perhaps we might say, had a go at her for wasting something so precious. And we also know that Jesus defended her. He told them off for their words. And this isn't the first time that he's done that for Mary. And then in this passage, we read these words, she did what she could. So let's look closer at this remarkable story that we find mentioned in every gospel and that Jesus declares will be mentioned along with the good news wherever it's preached. So let's pick up our Bibles and we're going to read from verse 3. It says, while he was in Bethany. Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem. In the Gospel of Mark, we see that Mark's writing about Jesus' journey to the cross. And at these moments where this uh, dinner appears, it is just days from when Jesus will be hanging on the cross. It says, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. We see a picture of someone's house, Simon the leper. Some have suggested that he might be the father of Lazarus and therefore also the father of Mary and Martha. In John's account, we're told that Martha is in her traditional role. She's bustling around serving this meal. But Mary comes in, different as ever, not with a tray of food, but with a jar of perfume. If we pull these thoughts together, we begin to see a picture of a family meal with some of Jesus' closest followers there around the table. We see Simon the leper is mentioned. I'm guessing he's not a leper anymore, but the title still stays with him. Previously, potentially before Jesus' healing, he would have been an outcast. He would have been in isolation, and we all know something of what that's like now. But I guess in those times, there wouldn't have been FaceTime or WhatsApp or any of those other devices to keep him connected with the community. It was a time of pre-antibiotics as well. So Simon would have faced um, a dark future. His body would have become more and more covered in rashes. He might have gone blind or experienced disfiguration. He might have encountered uh, constant nosebleeds, potential brain damage and kidney failure. And if Jesus hadn't healed this man, we can all begin to wonder where his life might have gone. It's reasonable to think that if Simon was related to Lazarus and Mary and Martha, that there is more than one person in the room that has been brought back from the dead. In this context, we're told that this meal takes place. If we picture the scene, what would you serve a man who'd given you not one person, but two people in your family 
back from the dead. How would you begin to honour him? Now in John's Gospel, we're told that Martha is serving. She wants to feed him. Some of us do this. When we want to thank people, we invite them for a meal. We feed them the best food. When we want to honour them, we think carefully about the menu. And I can imagine that Martha had spent loads of time thinking about this. Perhaps some spiced chicken, um, rice, there would have been Mediterranean salads on the table, flatbread and olives and hummus. There would have been a feast laid before them. And she's bustling around, filling the table with food. But is that enough? What would you give to Jesus as payment for a life, and here potentially two lives, back from the dead? So Mary obviously thinks, well, what can I do? And here she comes carrying a jar. It said in verse 3, continues, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Alabaster is a really soft stone that can be carved really easily. It's also incredibly beautiful. It can have streaks of colour in it. Um, it can be shimmery and shiny. I know that some people in our community have sparkly rocks on their shelves and it kind of made me think of that. But more than that, inside the jar is something called nard. It was an incredibly expensive perfume. We're told that it would have cost a year's wages. So that kind of perfume would have been the equivalent of maybe a Tiffany diamond for us today. This perfume would have been extracted from a flower and it would have been thick and gooey and you would rub it into bodies. Uh, it would be so fragrant. And here we see in the middle of the smells that are going on in the room, you can imagine the stinky men. Um, I say that because I'm imagining we didn't wash that much in those days. And Martha's amazing cooking fragrance is filling the air. Suddenly, Mary comes and breaks the neck of this jar of perfume. Now that was how it worked. You couldn't just take the stopper off. You broke the neck of the jar and then inside all the perfume would be released. It's a bit like when you get those um, super glue instant tubes. If you put the top back on, you can't ever use it again. It's a one use only. And that's where this nard is going to be used. So she breaks the neck of the jar and she pours the perfume onto Jesus' head. And you can imagine it dripping down over his shoulders and his clothes. And the fragrance begins to fill the air. A musty, beautiful fragrance amongst those smells of the men and the cooking. Her most valuable possession has been poured out on Jesus in thanks and praise. And then silence. You can picture the scene. Everybody in the room stops stops talking, everyone stops eating. I imagine even Martha stops bustling at this moment as her jaw falls open, as she realises what Mary has done and the cost of what she has just poured onto Jesus's head. 
Every eye on the room is on Mary as she stands there stunned. Looking around the room, it dawns on her that the faces are not smiling, they're not laughing, but instead they are now scowling and horrified at what she has done in the room. And then we're told in verse 4, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. We're told in John's Gospel that Judas starts this off. Oh my life, what have you done Mary? We could have used that to buy, buy stuff for the poor. But in Mark we're told it's not just Judas, we can't point the finger. Everybody in the room was joining in. What have you done, Mary? And anger is arising as they become more indignant of the injustice. Why would she do such a thing? Why would she do this and waste this precious nard? And this isn't the first time the disciples have got indignant with people. Mark uses that word before. He uses it about their feelings towards the people who brought their small children to be blessed by Jesus. He uses it about the way they treat the blind man who's crying out, Jesus have mercy on me. And here we see that he uses that word again. They have become indignant with her. They think what she's done is wrong. Mary reminds me at this point very much of Peter. She is impulsive. You can't help but like her, like Peter jumping out of a boat to walk on water. Mary does the same sort of thing. She's the one that breaks the social norms. She sits at Jesus' feet as a disciple. And here, without thought of the cost, she breaks this jar of perfume over Jesus' head and anoints him in this lavish display of love of the one that's given her so much. And as before, with the indignation of the disciples, Jesus rebukes them straight back. He says in verse 6, Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you'll always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you'll not always have me. She did what she could. Leave her alone. She did what she could. This is the moment, the moment to jump out the boat. Jesus says, you'll not always have me. This is the moment and Mary has taken it. How often, I wonder, do we allow the moment to pass by? Just like those disciples in the boat were thinking, I wish I'd got outside of the boat. How often do we allow that moment to pass? To pass by. Mary jumps. Often we have great plans about what we will do or good intentions that go to nothing. I know that I wrote last week a letter to my elderly neighbour. I wrote to her saying, um, hi my name's Louise, you've met me before, if you want to phone me, if you need anything, here's my number. I can tell you that the letter is still sitting by the front door. I need to go and post that today. But we don't want to lose the moment. The moment could be lost. Life often gets in the way, 
but let's not use the moment to do what we can. But I also want to put in here that we shouldn't berate ourselves for the moments we do miss. We can often sit around thinking, oh, I should have done this, or I could have done that. Remember, our actions are always in a response to what Jesus has done. They are not about gaining his love. They are about responding to his love. And in that respect, you can do it all. Forget to do it, fail to do it, refuse to do it. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. So let's continue. Verse 8. We read Jesus' words, She did what she could. Notice here, Jesus doesn't say, She did all she could, which is sometimes what we might read into the passage. It does say, She did what she could, not all she did, all she could. Mary had restrictions on her, just like we do. She lived in a highly patriarchal society. She couldn't move around freely as a woman. She couldn't follow Jesus as one of his disciples. She won't be able to follow him to the cross. But whenever Jesus is in her household, she does what she can. She grasps the moment. And here, I think in this room, is something very special. Because Jesus explained to the room perhaps what Mary doesn't understand, although I think she might have understood. He says that she has anointed him for his burial. Jesus has said repeatedly that he's going to die and he'll rise again. As I was thinking about this passage, I did think if there is one household on the whole planet that will be able to begin to grasp the truth of what Jesus has said, it is this family because they have seen Lazarus raise from the dead. They have seen Jesus showing victory over death. This is a family that doesn't need to live in fear of death but can live in hope of the resurrection. Mary's act is in response to all Jesus has given her and her family. And it perhaps hints a bit more of her acceptance of what is going to happen to Jesus in the future. Jesus uses her act of love as a picture, a prophetic sermon to reinforce what he's been saying. He's going to go to the cross. It strikes me as I read this that the oil that was sticky that Mary poured on his head would have stuck to Jesus, perhaps for days. And as he dragged his cross up the hill amongst his sweat and the blood on his body, would he still have been able to smell the beautiful fragrance that Mary had anointed him with that day? So what about us? In our current situation, we feel frustrated. We want strategies and that's not to be ignored. We follow those making decisions for us and we work together to curb this illness. But we also ask, what can I do? So 
So I want to encourage us this week to meditate on these words, she did what she could. So let's take one at a time. Firstly, she. And I want you to practice putting your own name in there. Joe did what he could. Sandra did what she could. Secondly, did. We're all doing something already. It can be tempting to think about what we can't do or feel guilty about what we could have done. Remember, Mary acted out of love in response to love, not to get Jesus' love. Mary did what? What? Firstly, think about what you are already doing. We're all doing already. We're isolated ourselves, and that means we've given up seeing people face to face. We might be working from home. We're already doing that what? We might be teaching our children. We might have had to change jobs or move jobs. We are all doing already. This is the what. Mary did what she could. Remember, we don't have to do everything. Think about what you can do, not what you'd like to do. What's realistic in your situation? Is it phoning people or writing letters or helping with the household jobs? Is it giving people in your family time to work uninterrupted? Is it shouting across the street hello to your neighbours? What might you do when you're feeling overwhelmed or helpless or insignificant? I want you to be thinking of these five words. She did what she could. And what you have might seem really small, but remember the Bible is full of small things playing important parts. There was the boy who brought his packed lunch to Jesus and it fed 5,000 people. There's a boy who picked up five stones from a riverbed and killed a giant. Jesus doesn't need big things, but he just needs us to do what we can do. This is our moment. Let's act in love out of knowing we're loved. Let's act in hope, not fear. Remember, Jesus has done what he can do. He has demonstrated his love to us, and out of that, we serve. So why not now spend some time as a household or individually just thinking about the words, she did what she could. What are you doing already, and what could you do?